What is up, everybody, and happy Friday. Welcome into the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. We have a great show for you today because it is Friday. We're going to talk about who won the week, some good candidates this week. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bucks and the Bulls. We're going to talk about the Pistons and what makes for a good rebuild. And, of course, look ahead to the weekend, get you guys all set for a very good Saturday and Sunday in the association. We're going to talk about those games coming up. But I'm joined today by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Happy Friday, Tim. Happy Friday, Adam. Capping off a great week. Had some, uh, had some a good good night, actually, to kind of just be chilling yes. on the sofa man, with League Pass, right? It's, yeah. it's always – when you got a little time on your hands and you could actually sit around and flip through the games and catch them as they're happening, because it's hard with what we do. we got to tape them sometimes and catch them later. But last night was a good night to be just bouncing around the league. And that's exactly what I did. And it's funny because – Usually for this show, we'll pick one or two games and do a deep dive. And we're going to do that tonight. We have a couple games selected. But last night was one where I kept getting distracted by all the good finishes. There was like six great finishes last night. So I was a fan for a little bit, just flipping around and watching all those. So we're going to talk about a handful of them. But before we dive in, let me quickly tell you about our presenting sponsor, DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Avoid where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Legs. We got to start off with, I mean, it's hard to say what was the game of the night because, as I mentioned, there was a handful of games that went down to the wire. But for me, the game of the night was the Milwaukee Bucks in Chicago to take on a very shorthanded Bulls team. There was no Zach Levine and no DeMar DeRozan. And my first note, Legs, this game reminded me, earlier in the week, we talked about the Nuggets. No Jokic, no Murray, no Aaron Gordon. They go to the Clippers and you think, okay, this is a slaughter. This is a throwaway game. But sometimes the bench guys get an opportunity to shine or the others get an opportunity to shine. They take it seriously and a special moment happens. That's what I felt last night when in overtime, the Chicago Bulls, the very shorthanded Chicago Bulls, upset the Milwaukee Bucks in a game that the crowd, you could tell, absolutely wanted and loved. It was a to me. It was an awesome game that you wouldn't have expected. Yeah, you know, and these games are happening more frequently than ever, Adam. Where teams are are winning games when their best players are sitting out. It's it's crazy. Mm. You mentioned it. It does give an adrenaline rush to certain guys when you know when you're going. You're a role player, and you know you're slotted into your 15 or 16 minutes typically, and you get your six, seven shots, whatever it may be, and it's like kind of a normal night for you. And now you know going into the game, or you find out. Maybe in some cases, like two hours before the game, you know what? These guys aren't playing, and you know right off the bat, okay, I'm going to get probably 25 minutes tonight. I'm going to have probably get 10, 12 shots at least. Right. It definitely gives you an adrenaline rush if you're a role player. And some of these guys took advantage of it for the Bulls last night. I, I look, I'm going to give them credit because they they competed hard and they played this game like the energy in the building was surprising for a team that's struggling like this. And it's been it was incredible. Drama. You're underselling yeah. it. The, the crowd. <laughs> Chicago hasn't had a lot of games. Like, but guys buy tickets, you go to the game. They haven't been rewarded very much this year. That was one where the crowd was like, heck yes, we're getting this little gift to us on a Thursday night. And the crowd, I think more than anyone, was just appreciative of it. Yeah, I mean, they're 5-14 and 14 coming in, and there's been a lot of drama, right? You had the, you know, the players only meeting right off the bat, and then all this talk about Levine being traded. And, you know, if you're a fan of the team right now, literally you're going to watch a product that you don't even know what this is going to look like the second half of the year. So when that happens, 
you know, a lot of times, you know what, especially a city like Chicago, there's a lot going on. And you're, you're going to maybe kind of stop watching the Bulls a little bit. That wasn't the case last night. Look, maybe now, you know, it was the Bucks coming in, you know, and everybody wants to go yeah. see Giannis and Lillard, right? So that, that definitely has something to do with it, the opponent. But the fact that they were that engaged, and, and you know, even a, a critical stretch there, I think to start the second half, third quarter, you look up and and, and the lower bowls filled. You know, a lot of times at these at these arenas, the third quarter starts, and half the lower bowls empty because people are mm. still at the, at the little you know, lounges that are right off the court. And they're getting their drink and their their food, and they're taking their time to get back to the seats. That wasn't the case, man. They were into it, and I think the Bulls needed every bit of that. So I'll give the Bulls credit. Look, they fought, they played hard, uh, they were in control of the game, and then kind of the Bucks made some big shots late to force overtime. So you don't know if the Bulls are then going to collapse in OT, but they didn't. They hung in there yeah. and they played hard. But but having said all of that, Adam, I think the focus for me is more on the Bucks, sure, because of what we expect from this team and what the end game is going to be for this group going forward. And I just thought. I thought they played a really poor game last night. I didn't think they were sharp with their with their ball security. You know, some of their entry passes and their their carelessness with the basketball. Uh, their shot selection is horrible. We're going to get more into that. I, I just think they bail teams out so yeah. badly with two superstar offensive talents like this and a, and a stable of three point shooters. You don't need to take the first daylight three. You get every trip. And that's what the Bucks did last night, and it allowed the Bulls to guard them uh, when they shouldn't be able to guard them. And so we're going to focus a lot on the Bucks because that's a disappointing loss, obviously. And and I think we're at the point now what we are 19 games in. They're 13 and six. Yeah, it's not certainly a pretty good start. But where are we with the Bucks? All right, that's the question. That's where we want to go with yeah. this early conversation here. Well, I mean, and just to put a, a you know a, a fine point on this. There were the Bulls had 21 turnovers last night. So not only were they shorthanded with their best players, they turned the ball over 21 times and still win. So that tells you just if all you did was look at the stat sheet, that would tell you like how do you lose to a team that's not as good as you when they had a 21 turnover night. Um, so that tells you. So let's get into the Bucks. To me, whenever there's a new coach, you start to look at okay, what's different about the team? What are they doing differently? Because I always think that coaching is about emphasis. You can tell what a team does is very likely to be what a coach is emphasizing. And what they, you know, if they do something poorly or if there's a blind spot, they're probably not emphasizing that. So you mentioned the shot selection part of this. Um, I do think that's a huge part of it. I mean, they are sixth in offensive rating. So it's not like they have been bad offensively this year. But you feel like they're leaving something on the table first, just right off the bat, by how quickly they're getting into some of their what you would call bad shots. No question. And and look, you you brought up their offensive rating, and and my point is, it should be better. It should be yeah. even better. That's the scary part because if they stop allowing themselves to be so easily guarded, then their offensive rating is is going to prove even more. Now, I'm not saying you're going to milk the clock or slow this thing down in '90 style basketball. Like, obviously, that's not the way the league looks. But you don't need to take every single three that any player gets with four feet of space. And that's I feel like that's what they do the entire game. I thought the major culprits last night uh, were Beasley and Brooke Lopez. Um, yeah. Right? Those two guys combined for 25 threes. And they shot a decent percentage, 11 for 25. But I just felt like if you just make teams work a little let the ball change sides of the floor one or two times on a possession, get a dribble penetration and a kick out. You're going to, you're going to get guys now 
that are completely towed up on balance, taking really quality shots because they've got a lot of guys that can shoot the three. I didn't think Damian Lillard um, was fully engaged last night. I don't think he played hard enough. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you're a guy that spent all these years in Portland. You're brought in here now to be, you know, they already won one championship with Drew Holiday, but now you're a different level of talent to Drew Holiday. The expectation is to win a championship. Every single year you're going to be paired up with a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo. And, I, look, I understand in Portland there's probably a lot of nights we were looking at him the same way, but he was getting 35 and we didn't care as much about his defense. He had other guys on the roster to do that. I just feel like on this team you got to set a little bit more of the tone. And I thought he was kind of casual last night with everything about his energy. He had turnovers where he would throw the ball away on an entry pass to the post and then jog back. Uh, you know, when yeah. he's 15, 20 feet closer to the other end of the floor than the guy that steals the ball and he ends up 10 feet behind him, that's just not good enough effort. So I didn't think his effort was very good. He has seven turnovers, which is way too many because they weren't really forced. They were all careless, unforced errors. So I was a little disappointed in his performance last night and just overall the, how easily they allow themselves to be guarded with contested deep shots. The, the right. same shot you can get six seconds from now. You know, so that's the part that frustrates me about the Bucs. I say the same thing, by the way, about the Boston Celtics. And look, these are the two teams I think <laughs> are going to play in the conference finals. So yeah. they're close. What we're talking about here is how do you go from close to winning a championship? How do you go from close to beating the Denver Nuggets? How do you do that? You don't do that by bailing teams out on 15, 18 possessions a night because you have no patience. And I thought that was a, a, a big reason why they lost this game last night. You mentioned the guy to me that uh, that is an interesting one for when you look at their upside, and that was Malik Beasley. Only the Phoenix Suns, in my opinion, have a role player in the starting lineup that is as weak as Malik Beasley is as an overall impact player. They have a great top four, of course, we all know, championship caliber top four, but their fifth guy being Beasley. And the difference between the Suns, the Suns have like a Kogi, you know, they, they throw out some role players there, but they're defensive-minded role players. Like, okay, we can't count on a Kogi shot or scoring all the time, but he's going to play defense. He's going to give you effort. Malik Beasley, to me, being a guy that, one, I don't trust his defense, but then his best weapon is shooting, then you run the risk of what you're talking about, which is shot selection and fit and all these different things. To me, that's one of the things I look at is I would be shocked if Malik Beasley is a a major rotation piece for them, not even just a starter, but a major rotation piece for them on a championship run. He could be a role player that gets 15 minutes and is a shooter and a specialist and this or that. But him being a starter in their lineup to me is is kind of surprising. And I just, I can't imagine that that's the recipe that they are going to build throughout the course of the year. Well, I guess then the question is going to be, where are they going then in that spot? Pat Connaughton well, going to get a lot of those minutes. He didn't play last night. Um, Beauchamp right. is a guy that they're giving more and more minutes to, to kind of fills that role a little bit. But Beasley's a hired gun. I mean, this is what he's going to do. He, you know, he took 15 of his 19 shots last night were threes. And yeah. at one point, it felt like he took like five in a row at one point. Like, like he was the only guy touching the ball, and it was all left corner threes. Um, and look, some of that's because of the attention Lillard and Antetokounmpo get, right. especially especially Antetokounmpo with the amount of attention he has to get in the paint. Yeah, you got to put bodies in there, or he's just going to gut you all night. So there's going to be a lot of shots to be had. I think Beasley can serve certainly a role for them. Maybe what you're saying is 41 minutes, you know, is 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 too much for a guy like Malik Beasley. Um, another thing that about last night that you know stood out to me. If you're going to take this many threes 
And I was noticing it during the game. 48 threes, almost half your shots. And if you're going to do that, and there's going to be 32 misses, 32 missed threes, where are those threes coming off? Those threes are coming off long. It's prime offensive rebound. Offensive rebounding has become a major force in the NBA again because of the three-point shot. There are so many opportunities, very difficult defensively to rebound long misses on three-point shots. I looked at the front line for the Bucks last night. Outside of Giannis, and some of Giannis's were his own misses. He had six offensive rebounds. There are other front court players: Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, and I'll put Beauchamp in there. He's playing forward. He's got good size. Those four guys, Adam, played 119 minutes combined with for one offensive rebound. One. So where's the where's the blue collar, you know, get dirty work? That, that, that is required to win a championship. And last night you didn't see it. They come down, they space out the floor, they camp out, they wait for their shot. If they don't get it, they start backpedaling on defense. With the exception of Giannis, who's usually in the lane anyway because right. he probably drove at some point, right, or he's he's posting up or whatever he's doing. So he's already in there, and he's just going to go because he's sort of relentless. The rest of those guys, man, there are opportunities for your team if you can't go after an offensive rebound and sprint back on defense, then you got to look yourself in the mirror. And I just didn't see a lot of that last night. Uh, there's opportunities to be had to give yourself second chances, and they just didn't do a whole lot of it because they, they last night they were a one-dimensional team to me. There's one way they were going to beat you, and when that game got into overtime and they missed some early in overtime and the Bulls took advantage of it, and, and you could see – you know, Milwaukee just sort of crumbled in the last three minutes of overtime and, and the Bulls get a win. I mean, you mentioned something interesting there, which is the there's a balance every team has to strike between being aggressive on the offensive glass and getting back in transition. And usually there is some kind of trade off or risk that you take when you when you prefer one or the other. The Bucks right now are 27th in offensive rebound percentage. So they're a bottom five offensive rebounding team and they're a bottom five opponent fast break team so they're giving up both they're they're not <laughs> going for the boards and they're great getting beaten transition so um, and again this comes back to me to not to lay everything on coaching but it does come back to teams often do the things that are emphasized and don't do the things that are not emphasized and that's one to me where you talk about yeah you spread a team out the way they're going to be spreading a team out and then you have the athleticism that you have between a Giannis, a Bochamp, a Jackson like they have guys that should be very good at crashing the glass and yet they're making no impact on it so to me that's another thing that i think i look at and say that's a stylistic thing that is probably not emphasized with them i love that point like you know are, are you going to the boards and getting given up some transition opportunities, right? Or are you not going and protecting against fast break points? And you're saying they're not right. really accomplishing either of those things. So that's right. a great step. It reminds me of there was a college coach one time that, that said about his team, we aren't big, but we are slow. And, and I thought, <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be both of those things, right? And that's kind of what you're saying about the Bucs. Um, so, yeah, and, and, you know, this was, look, they, they were trailing. They, they, they got to stops they needed and made some big shots at the end of regulation. And, of course, Caruso, you know, hits an incredible shot at the end of regulation on a fadeaway going to his right three. That Brooke Lopez actually played pretty well. Yeah. He was a little bit late on his jump, or he intentionally didn't jump because you didn't want to foul. 
but it wasn't like a great contest. It, he had his arm up, but he didn't really get off the ground. Or, or I think Caruso probably misses that because he's not a pure shooter. No. Uh, but give him credit, man. That showed a lot of heart. Going to his right, fading away, hits the three to force overtime. Bucks looked a little bit in shock and demoralized as they were walking to the bench. And Chicago came out and, and uh, took it to him and got that win in overtime. So well, wait, how many times have you seen this script, though? The script that was the Bulls had no business winning that game. They were up all game. And then at the very end, the Bucks come back and take the lead. I've, you've seen the script 100 times. And you're like, all right, the Bucks are walking out of here. They stole a win because they're the better team. He hits that shot and you go, okay, now you played with fire and you're going to get burned. But one of the things, are you a fan of fouling up three? Because the Bucks had a lot of opportunities to foul Caruso before he took the shot. Are you a fan of that? I am not. I, am not. And it's, I, think, I think it's philosophical. I'm probably in the minority anymore on that. Yeah. I get that. And look, I, I think it might go back to literally a situation I was in in Washington as a player. We were playing the Utah Jazz at home up three, and we were going to take a foul. And I there was a there was a there was like a guard guard to start to set it was a sideline out of bounds. I don't even know how much time was left. Let's say you know whatever seven seconds, and we were going to take a foul. And I think it was the first time in my life to that point. Literally, I personally had ever been told you're going to foul on this situation. So I was like, okay. The ball comes in. It was like it was like a Hornacek Stockton like screen screen. I end up switching on Stockton. He catches the ball coming to the top of the key. And I'm like two feet away from him, and it looks like he's going to catch because he's kind of running away from the basket, and it looked like he was going to catch it and sort of loop around and dribble. And I thought I had at least one dribble before I could go grab him. Man, he catches the ball, spins out just as I lunge forward, he shoots the ball, and I hit him. <laughs> and he goes up and he shoots three free throws. Now, he didn't make them all, all so right. he got bailed out. But I, it, it, it made me nervous about mistiming yeah. that again. And I know when I coached, and I coached the – you know, it's not, not the NBA, but I coached a ton of high-level AOU basketball. We were in this situation many times. And my thing was, if you know a team is going to shoot a three and you can't stop it, then you're not you're not very good defensively. You're not very good. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. not, you're, not, yeah. you're not practicing what you need to practice every day in those situations to, to accomplish switches and making sure that, that you're taking away space. And in anything, guys making a really difficult shot with a hand up, that's my belief. Like I said, I think more and more people are trending toward taking the foul. You see it all the time. A lot of it has to do with time. You know, a lot of people are going to say inside X amount of time, you know, you're going to. If it's more than that, you're not. Because in an NBA game, if it's 10, 12 seconds, that's an eternity if a team still has timeouts. Okay, so you're, you, know, you might not. But if it's like five or less, you're going to. But again, you better time that right uh, so you don't get a guy going up. And, and, and actually, I will say this. It's easier to accomplish it in the NBA than ever because they basically – I feel like every night I watch five what I thought were and ones that aren't and ones anymore, right? So they don't right. give you that anymore, right? It's got to be so clear that the ball's already up into your gather and all these things. It's very difficult actually anymore to get the and one off the dribble in the yeah. NBA. So it's easier to commit the foul. You're not as afraid of it. But I, for yeah. me, no. I, I like to try to get that stop with a hand up. I, for me, it's philosophical in that I just like basketball. There's something pure about if you're using a rule against itself, I don't like it. And that's a, that's an example of fouling is supposed to be a penalty. You're penalized for fouling. If it's used as a weapon, I hate it. So for me, I just like to see a finish, get a stop, or make an amazing shot. Like that's what I want to see. I don't want to see this, oh, it was so smart to do this thing. Um, let's talk about Middleton. 
because I think he is sort of yeah. how you feel yeah. about the Bucks probably has a lot to do with how you feel about Middleton. Yeah. He obviously uh, had a rough year last year. What do you what do you see from him so far this year? Uh, it's not great. <laughs> you know, even last night, he had five points, the first five points of the game, I believe, for Chicago. And, and if I, he might have had seven in the first quarter. He had nine points for the game. I mean, mm. he comes out, he hits a little floater, hits a three. Chris Middleton is a level scorer. You know, if you think on any given night, he's kind of like, like, like Clay who's stuck in this right now. And you, every night he hits a couple early, you think tonight could be the night that they go off. And could that trigger a sequence of games in which they, they look at, like themselves again? I'm starting to worry about Chris Middleton. Like he's averaging 11 points a game. He's still shooting a pretty good percentage. Like he's always been a good, efficient field goal. He's 45 for his career. He's 45 this year. Um, He's 38 from the three for his career. He's 31 last year, 31 this year. That's clearly taken a dip. And I think the injuries yeah. have taken a toll to the point where, at his age, you know, he is 32. He's got a lot of mileage on his legs. He's had injuries. And you wonder if, if the lift isn't quite there. One of the things that made Chris Middleton different, he was a great mid-range player. Great yeah. mid-range player. And actually, the year the Bucks won it, Chris Middleton was a guy that a lot of times, man, had the ball when it mattered because his of his ability to get to a spot and shoot over the top of a defender. And I don't know that you trust him to do that anymore. Now, look, his minutes are way down. He's only averaging 20 minutes a game. So they still have him on a minutes restriction. He's, you know, But until I see him playing 35, 36 minutes, several games in a row, and we can take a look at his production, I'm a little bit concerned right now with what I'm seeing, and particularly last night, the way that he basically disappeared after the first few minutes of the game. You didn't notice Chris Middleton was on the floor the rest of the night. He is critical to believing that the Bucs can beat a team like Boston and get out of the East. So we just said all this. You know, we talked about all the different things that are concerning about him, but they're 13 and six. You know, they have one of the better offenses in the NBA. Their defense hasn't been great, but they're 13 and six. Um, and they're eight and two in their last, you know, their last 10. So is this actually an encouraging sign that, hey, it's the first 20 games of a new coach, new player, new, new, new system, and they're still winning while they learn? Or is this, hey, this is a veteran team and they should probably, we kind of see what this team is becoming and it, it might have some holes in it. It's complete. It, well, it's, it's both. I'll be honest with you. It's both. It's, it's encouraging yeah. from the standpoint you're right. Chris Middleton is a, is a long way from his best. He is, he is yeah. far below his career norm. And if he reverts to career norm and you've got the third guy, so now at any point you've got two big-time offensive players on the floor because you can stagger them throughout the game, you know, and now they get more time together, more continuity to three of those guys, and they're already 13-6, to six, that's a great sign. Um, on the other hand, I, there, there, are, there are times, you know, you look at Middleton's impact defensively, Lillard's impact defensively, compared to like holiday um and middleton was a very good perimeter defender and, and he can still do it in spurts he's not as i don't think as effective as he was and Lillard certainly isn't the defender that drew holiday is here's what here's the thing with a team like milwaukee adam you're talking about hey are you know they're 13 and 6 you know should we be shooting on to this point yes yes because they are on the very short list of teams that you are expecting to host a parade next June, mm. 
Very short list. And right now, with, with I think, teams in the West besides Denver, all of those teams trying to figure out, you know, look, and, and, and I'm not talking about Minnesota or Oklahoma City. This great starts. We need to see really them take on teams like Denver at full strength, take on Phoenix at full strength later in the year when it really matters. That's when you're really going to know about this. I love both of them. I love both of their starts. I love watching them both play. I think they're legit going to be in the mix for top four all year in the West. It's too early to know if they're actually title contenders. Right now, right. you've got Denver. We all know what that is, regardless of the injuries, okay? Regardless right. of Jamal Murray not being there. We know what that is. Boston and Milwaukee, those are the three teams right now. We do not know what Phoenix looks like because we haven't seen Bradley Beal. We know what Denver, Milwaukee, and Boston are, so they're going to get over-scrutinized um, more than any teams because we know exactly what they have, and it's good enough to win a championship if they get it to work on both ends. And that's why you can nitpick a team like Milwaukee on certain nights like last night. Yeah. Uh, they'll put a, Just to end this segment here, I want to go back to the Bulls and ask you, do you, were you part of a game or was there one specific that you remember where the star players were out and the role players, including you, got a big win? Is there any play, game you can kind of remember of, of this specific ilk? Man, that's so so long ago now. I hate to say it. It makes me feel old when I say how yeah. long ago it was. Yes, there were definitely games like that because I remember we played we played a season uh, with Chris Webber was hurt quite a bit. He was our best player. He, he was, you know, at that time he was, you know, one of the top 10 players in the league. He had a lot of shoulder injuries. And then there was a lot of talk about trading him that was kind of hanging in the air. So they kind of sat him down for a little mm. bit. And I and Similar I could go back. One. Guarantee you I could go back and I could find a stretch of games in there. Not just definitely myself, I benefited, but other guys on our team that that kind of got opportunities and rose to the occasion and, and got to show what they could do. I specifically off the top of my head, that'd be hard to remember that yeah. long ago. But yeah, there's no yeah. doubt there, there, there was opportunities like that. Uh, same thing in, in Golden State. I had that opportunity with Charles Sprewell, Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen. I was on on teams with those guys. Tim Hardaway hurt. Sprewell was out. There's more minutes to be had at the guard spot. I know one game in particular, I had 20 points off the bench in the first half against the Rockets, the team that won a championship uh, that year. Um, it was pretty cool because I was in Golden State. I, I got picked up that year. They didn't know much about me. And I, and they, I remember them chanting my name to go back into the game in the second half. Which was <laughs> I had 24 in that game. I do remember that. I had 20 in the first half. And I think those the Houston guys were kind of like, hey, wait a second, man. <laughs> like, this dude is this dude. <laughs> so, and it's because there was there was minutes to be had. And, you know, I got picked up and yeah. there was injuries and guards. And I ended up staying the rest of the year. And then I went to Washington the next year to have my best year of my career. So, it, look, if you're a role player, man, you got to take advantage of these opportunities. And I thought some guys did that well last night. No question about it, man. No question. Uh, let's hit our first break. On the other side, though, Thunder and Lakers, Chet Holmgren and Anthony Davis. Chet Holmgren's going up against all the top bigs in the NBA, so this time he checks off the Anthony Davis box. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the Pistons a little bit later and what makes for a healthy rebuild. I have a feeling they're not doing some of the things we're going to say are most important for a healthy rebuild, so we'll talk about that. On the other side, but first... NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 in instant bonus bets just for throwing down a $5 bet on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You start the season with an instant dub. Tonight, there's a good slate of games. This weekend, there's a really good slate of games on Saturday and on Sunday. So put together a same-game parlay or a multiple-game parlay 
Stack different bets on top of each other to get a bigger payout. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit Visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner of Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball for terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here, segment two. Now, I didn't see this game, so I'm going to have to ask you. You texted me this morning saying, hey, man, this one is a really interesting one. The Thunder dominate the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, last night, and we get the Chet Holmgren Anthony Davis matchup. I know early I was just seeing a bunch of people saying Anthony Davis was taking it to him, but then I look at the box score and I see uh, that Chet Holmgren had himself a pretty decent game and was a plus sixteen. So what happened in this game, Legs, that stood out to you? Here's what stood out. So you know, Lakers got embarrassed by Philly, then they come back, they destroy Detroit, and I actually made a joke about the Pistons. I called them the the league's antibiotic right now. If you're sick, go play the Pistons. <laughs> You'll get well. Um, so that so they got well against them, and now you got the Thunder game. And I, I thought this wasn't going into it. I, I talked to this on the air yesterday. I said I think this is an important game for the Thunder, right? The start that you've had. This is a Lakers team. They're they're coming in with both stars. They you know they're not coming right off the Philly game. They're coming off of a win. They're coming into your building. You know this is a pound the gavel moment. I think for the Thunder. You want to you want to act like this start is legit then you got to beat the Lakers coming into your building. And so you're watching the game early. AD clearly what like was like, I'm going right at Chad Holmgren. And and and, and Holmgren was getting thrown around a little bit. And look, AD's not the most yep. physical guy in the world, but he is big. He is massive. If you if you stood next to Anthony Davis before, you can't believe like how thick his shoulders are, how wide he is. And, and he doesn't necessarily always use it. He's more of a finesse player. But when he wants to, he could throw some people around, and he was doing that at the beginning of the game. And, and Holmgren really had his hands full, and AD gets off to a great start. And, Adam, you look up, Lakers are up 14, late first quarter. It's 35-21. They're, they're scoring every time down the court, seemingly. And what happens, man? The Thunder, over the next 38 minutes of the game, outscored them by 37 points. Man. And, and, and Holmgren – was a big part of that. And and look, I've seen Holmgren play a lot this year. You know, I've been raving about him. I just think this yeah. guy's going to be a star. And last night, because there's nights when basically his shots are, he'll get a couple slashes. He'll get something to transition. He'll shoot a couple of threes. He takes nine shots a game. He, he does not take bad shots. So very efficient. Last night, he had opportunities as they start you know, racing that lead and now they're getting comfortable. He had a play where he went one-on-one against AD and pounded the ball between his legs two or three times and then crossed him up, got to a mid-range, and shot a pull-up 18-footer right over him. He had a play where he pump-faked at the three-point line, guy flew by, he drives in, he shoots a one-footed runner from just inside the foul line, nothing but net. He had no no, no doubt where that ball was going to end up. 
Now, stat line is not as good as AD's on the night, but Holmgren was so impressive in this game. And more importantly, Shea Gilgis-Alexander did whatever he wanted to do. And I'm watching this guy saying, I, it's actually getting to the point where you say, man, how many guys really in the league are better than Shea Gilgis-Alexander as just a pure offensive machine to get right. whatever they want when they want? So he was unstoppable. Holmgren played great. And then the other guy, Jalen Williams. I'm watching Jalen Williams last night My saying, favorite. man, they've got a legitimate two-way player. Like, you look at what, what Toronto has with Scotty Barnes, and you look at Jalen Williams. And Scotty Barnes is a guy that, you know, untouchable, and you think, hey, man, this guy's going to be a superstar. All right, well, let me see Jalen Williams play. You tell me how much difference there is between those two players. Jalen Williams was sensational, uh, you know, last night in this game. 21 points, five boards, seven assists, guards everybody. I just was like, this is important for OKC, even though it's – here we are, early late November game. Does it really matter that much? The, 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 the end season has been determined. No, it mattered that they, that they take it to a team that couldn't guard them. And they did that for the last 36 minutes of that game. And they put up 133. And if they didn't empty the bench late, they could have had, they could have had 140. I mean, you just ran through my big three, right? When we did the, the best big threes or something so far in the season, you just ran through them. Shea, who we know, and by the way, your point on Shea, Shea is great against everybody. He's a tough matchup against everybody. But when you don't have the size in the backcourt to guard Oklahoma City, he feasts. D'Angelo Russell, Christie, that's not going to get it done. Austin Reeves, that's not going to get it done. You could say throw Torian Prince on him, well, but they've got to get any other guys. Yeah, Torian Prince yeah. guarded him most of the time he was on the floor. And the problem, he's got length. The problem is Shea Gilgis-Alexander, when, when he crosses over or goes by that initial defender at the three-point line, if it's Torian Prince, I don't think I have ever seen a player stop on a dime to a greater extent than Shea Gilgis-Alexander. The way that he completely yeah. stops his momentum in a blink of an eye and he uses your momentum defensively against you as you're retreating – for a guy like Tony on Prince, that's tough, man. Like if you're a lightning quick guard with super quick right. twitch, you might be able to at least stay with that. But then Shea, because he leans back and he's long, he's going to shoot over you. But Prince, he was still six feet away by the time he was reacting to cut. Now I got to change direction and close out on this guy because Shea's stopping at 15 feet so abruptly. It's really it's it's kind of mind blowing to watch it live. Like how how much he slows his body down off of off a live dribble when he's going full speed to let guys sort of fly by and creates this six eight feet of space for that little lean back jumper that's unstoppable. So they tried Prince and it was a total mismatch. That I, we we need a name for that move, the stopping on a dime thing, because I feel like it's a new fundamental. I don't remember players doing this and it's like the euro step where it came into the league and then all of a sudden everybody did it and it changed the way guys attack downhill i feel the same way about this step like luca's the first guy i remember doing it over and over and over again do you remember when this came into the league this idea of deceleration no listen it's it's absolutely something guys work on and here's there's three different ways that guys can beat you once they once they get past the initial fender and you're guarding them at, like say deep at 25 feet and now they're going toward the rim, they're all different. Shea stops just abruptly stops and 
I mean, literally does not go one inch forward at that point after he's going full speed. He just stops. Freezes. The defender, the defender keeps retreating, and then he rises up for a 15-foot lean back jumper. The next one is, and this is for most of the smaller guards, Trey Young is a guy that masters this one. He goes by you, and then he just leaves off of one foot from 12 feet, 15 feet, and shoots that floater over the top of the backline guy. Right, That's something that all of these smaller guards practice. And then you have Luca. Luca doesn't fully stop. He just slows down to such an extent that the guy be, is now behind him, kind of hits his back, and then he bumps, and then he gets more separation, and then he holds the ball forever until he wants to release it at the rim after guys have jumped and landed, and now Luca's finally deciding to shoot the ball. It takes an incredible amount of self-discipline and patience and self-confidence to think, against the best athletes in the world of going into where all the traffic is. And now I can go as slow as I want to go and nobody can block my shot. It takes strength. It takes all of these things. So there's three different ways they do it. I'm glad you brought up Luca. Shea is the best at, at just stopping and elevating vertically and going up for a shot. So with Luca, when he gets that deceleration, even if you stick with it, the thing about the deceleration is you can still kind of pivot or move to the side and go around a defender or fade away or jump forward, whatever it is. And Luca uses his height and his strength in that. So if you defend it, if you don't just go flying by, then he can kind of bump you at, on the way out and, and shoot the jumper. Shea has length. I mean, his he can cover so much space on just one finishing step, you know, that even if you follow, you know, stay with him, pump fake back, you step forward, and then he steps around you. And he just, it's nonstop those things. It's like a five-second move. He either gets you on the first, second, the second, third, fourth, fifth, but eventually he's going to get you on something, and that's what makes him so effective. Um, And then lastly on Chet Holmgren, the thing about him, just to circle back, the guy's tough. And what you're talking about, we all have different traits we value in players. Toughness is like very, very high on the list for me, especially of young players. The guy is not afraid of matchups. He's been absolutely dominated by some players so far this year. I mean, Jokic, you know, gave him the business. Jokic gives a lot of guys the business. But he never backed down. He never got discouraged by that. And I love the fact that he can come out and get dominated by Anthony Davis in the first quarter of a game. And then by the end of it, he's crossing through his legs and shooting jumpers, you know, on him. The guy just, he's not bothered by being punched in the mouth. And that's why I love this dude. And I, I've never met Chad Holmgren. I'm looking forward to meeting him. And the first question I'm going to ask him is, is this fun? I hope this is fun because he does. He, I, I mean, I look, and I, I've always been a fan of, of, of like stoic yeah. guys. Like, I don't think you need to wear your emotions on your sleeve, particularly as a scorer, because you don't want ever. I don't think you ever want your opponent to think you're frustrated or it's in your head a little bit. Um, so I've, I used to tell players I had that were shooters that I coached, like I'd say, hey, be Ray Allen. Be Ray Allen. They never change the expression. You don't know if Ray Allen's 9 for 10 or 0 for 10. You cannot tell the difference by the look on his face. And so there's something good about that. But at the same time, there would be every now and then, you know, Ray would hit an important shot or somebody would on his team, and you'd see that demonstrative show of emotion, you know, the fist pump coming off the court, excited. Yeah. Like Chet is like, I get the stoic, but – it's like it, it never changes ever. Like so, yeah. I'm really curious. Like, what's this dude like on the charter? What's he like? Like, you know, when, when they're traveling and they're playing cards on the, on the plane or in their locker room, hanging out. Like, is are you having fun? I'm sure he is because he's you know he's spent his he whole is. life 
dedicated to being in this moment. And man, is it happening yeah. in, in a big way for him right now and a really good team. He's having a huge impact. And it's, you know, but man, it would be nice every, just once <laughs> I want to see Chet Holmgren just like literally, just give me one fist pump, man, coming off the court after a, yeah. another team called timeout because of something you just did. But uh, we'll see. We'll see if he gets there. He, I, we talked about get players that play with joy and players that play with anger, and there's no good or bad. I mean, it's just stylistically different. But I think he has a little bit more of the anger side to him and, and stoic and, and, and almost like mean. Um, but I like it. I like it with him. I, let's move on to the Pistons now. we got to talk about the Pistons. So last night they w- became, I can't remember, the first team in eight years, I believe, to go winless in an entire month. Um, their season off to a rough start. They win a couple games early, and you're like, okay, is there something here? We get you get Cade Cunningham back, and they they start off. I think where they yeah they were two and one to start the year with wins over Charlotte and Chicago. Well, that was the end of it. They have not won since then. Um, and I think, like I saw last night, they are 18 and 82 now over their last hundred games. That's rough. Man, man, so. Man, man. So before, rather than just talk about the Pistons and, you know, let's, let's talk about when a team is rebuilding, it makes sense to say, Hey, we don't care about wins and losses this year. We care about other things, but what are those other things that are important for a team in a rebuild to really focus on? What do you feel is the most important thing? We start a list here. What's the most important thing to establish in a, in the first year? We'll call this the first year of a rebuild, even though it's not, but what's the most important thing to establish in the first year of a rebuild? Well, I think the first thing that you have to look at in a team in this situation is, do you have the player yeah. or a player on your roster that is the, the, the foundation of everything you're going to build around? I, and I don't know that I see that on the Detroit Pistons. Cade Cunningham is a good player. I would not put Cade Cunningham in that category. Um, you, know, you look at what are, – Are you certain of that? No, you, I'm not like certain. How, how, how certain I'm not, are I should say how certain are you of it? Oh, that 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 he's not that guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm certain of that. I'm not. Gonna, well, well, I, well, here's the here's the thing, legs that I'm I'm getting at. When you have like a Wimbenyama, a Zion, I mean, these are tough examples. But when you have a LeBron, it's it's nice because you can know right away. Like, okay, this is clearly our guy, and we know what we're doing. But most of the time you get somebody who could be or could not be, and it's tough. And making that call early is so hard to do. And I feel Kate is a perfect example of this, where you look at him and you go, man, he has a lot of talents. The team's not exactly designed for him. It's early on. There's so much bad around him that it's hard to say, is it because of that? Is it because of, you know, what is it? And I think he's a perfect example of a team where it's so tricky because you have to make a decision and you just don't know. You don't know, and it's it's that's always been the hard thing with teams that are in this situation, right? They're bottom feeders in the league. They get a high pick, and then by the you know, year three, you kind of got to start to figure out is this the guy? Because you got to start thinking about these right. extensions and how much you're going to pay him and everything else. And I just yeah. don't think you can tell in this environment. It's really hard to tell. I do know this. I definitely can't say he is for right, certain. Right. No, I can't say that. And yeah. I, I compare them to a situation like, look at what Philly went through, okay? While Philly was going through all of that, I was pretty sure I knew what Joel Embiid was. And he ended up being even better than that. And even Ben Simmons, like, you know, you thought, hey, Ben Simmons is a guy. And, you know, before he started having all his confidence issues and everything that happened with him, you had two guys sort of sitting there, you know, back-to-back years that you're like going, man, 
kind of know what these guys are. These are special, different, elite. Um, they're just unique. There's nobody else has one of these guys, and they have two of them. I don't know that you could say that about uh, Cade Cunningham. Spurs have one right now, and Victor Wembanyama. Yeah. Kind of know right. what that's going to be. That's going to be something special and unique. Um, so that's the first thing I think. If you're if you're a fan of the Pistons, and you're going to go through this, and look, I think fans, as much as they hate to watch a losing team, fans you can get them to buy in for a short period of time. You know, two, three. Oh, of course. Wins. Right, you can get them to buy in if you know. No question. On the tail end, on the tail end, we're going to get X. I don't know that you can say that right now with anybody on this roster. And yet, there are players I like. And here's the thing: says we agree that the first thing you have to do is establish who your core is, and usually that's one player or two players. Like, okay, we're building around this. Jokic and Murray. Everything else goes because then your decision making from there goes into it. Um, with them, Cade Cunningham to me could probably be one of two players if that other player is really, really good, but building around him is tough. And then when you go after that, you know, I really like Osar Thompson. I'm, I'm sure yeah. I'm saying his name wrong. I really like him, but we haven't seen a ton of him and he projects to me to be more of a high caliber role player and, yes. you know, and an Andre Guadala type and an Aaron Gordon type. So not necessarily, you don't build your team around that. He more fits into whatever it is you're building. And I like Jalen Duran. I think he's a good young player as well. So they have a couple players. Uh, I know Marcus Sasser, some people have been pretty high on. I don't know his game well enough just, just yet to say which way I think he breaks. But I don't think they have the core figured out. So that already starts you off on a tough foot. And then for me, Legs, the second most important thing, I have three things I listed on here. Number three was coaching. Number one was the core player. But number two is the culture and the identity. I think that it is important to start building what is it that are our core values. And it is different depending on who your best player is. You have a, a pass-first type of you know table floor. Okay, we're an unselfish team. We're smart. We're going to do these things. You have a, a super athletic player like a Zion. Okay, we're going to build some athleticism around this, or we're going to lean into that. So you have to establish those things. I don't know what the culture is with, with Detroit, and I don't think they're anywhere close to establishing their culture. So you don't know the top player. You don't know the culture. You're off to a really tough start. No, I agree. I agree with that. And I, I think – it's, it becomes difficult, you know, to, to go this amount of period of time with losing. Because what happens is yeah. there's more scrutiny over these games and these teams than there's ever been. And, you know, it's, it's not like now the only source you have to go get to, to watch people talk about your team and your misery right now is like SportsCenter. That's how it was for right. a time. That's not the case yeah. now, man. It's, nope. it's, it's everywhere. It's all over social media. It's everything else. And you go an entire month without winning a game with a bunch of young guys Man, does that become heavy? It becomes tough. Even though you got young guys and you might think, hey, you know, right now they're just loving being in the NBA and living their dream. And there's some truth to that. But it also starts to become heavy and it weighs on you because jokes start getting made. I just made one. We started this segment having some fun with it. And it's going to start to happen. And that, that becomes difficult to establish the winning culture and the attention to detail that you want, making guys buy into – these are all the things that are important. Yeah, but coach, we're, we did all those things and we're still losing. <clears throat> okay, so some of that stuff starts to get loose and the details start to get fuzzy. And before you know it, you're halfway through the season and you just can't wait for the end of the year. And and right. and it's a long year, man, in the NBA if you're buried like this this early. Yeah. Goodness gracious, it's a long year because you're about to enter the dog days of the season. December, January, and the first half of February when everywhere you go is cold. For the most part, <laughs> yeah, right? right. 
body, yeah. your body, your body's stiff when you're going to yeah. shoot around off buses in these cold weather cities, and it's just like your your the adrenaline of the beginning of the year is worn off. You don't have the adrenaline to look forward to for the playoffs. That's not going to happen. So how do you find that every night? You know, right now, and that's going to be the hardest part. And that's all gets back to what you're talking about: identity, culture, and attention to detail become hard when you've had this little success uh, this early in the year. You know, it's one thing you started out, you were, you know, 10 and 10, and then you hit a 12-game losing streak. At least you got almost to the halfway point of the season. This is the very beginning of the season with very little taste of success or winning. That becomes hard. It's a heavy locker room. I I love that you brought up the dog days because I actually have been meaning to ask you that specific question. When is the dog days? Because people don't know this. Legs is living right, man. Like, you you commute. You travel up north but you can get down south to florida and and kind of escape this winter i'm here in colorado man and i'm telling you personally i feel in the dog days of the calendar cycle like it's dark at four o'clock right now i I barely see the sun at any given day um i'm personally in the dog days but for nba players when do you feel they truly begin it really it really i think as you get probably into the holidays or right after Beginning of January after New Year's, because, you know, there's also some things associated yeah, with that I, yeah. family stuff, right? You know, it's just an upbeat time of year. And then you get through that, and, and there's a lot of marquee attention on the yeah. NBA the holidays. And then you kind of get into January, man. And that's, to me, it's basically the entire month of January and the first two weeks of February leading up to the All-Star break. That's yeah. the toughest time. I remember being in the league and being in that time of year and being in, the East, in an East Coast city like Washington. So you got, you know, you're playing teams like Boston and you're playing, you go to Boston in the winter, you're going to New York in the winter, you're going to Chicago and Milwaukee and Detroit, right. And Cleveland, it's cold everywhere. And then, and then you look, you look at the schedule, you try to find, Oh, there it is. There it is. Orlando and Miami. (laughs) There they are. We got the Orlando Miami, like back to back. And I'm telling you like how different your body felt. Like yeah. going out to the bus at the hotel, heading over to the arena for shoot around, and you were just like had some bounce, and guys are like dunking at shoot around, and like you, you know, because you just have the energy to do it. it. It does revitalize you. So I think that's the toughest time. And again, it's mainly because the adrenaline beginning of the year, everybody has it. No matter what situation your team is in, everybody, you all have hope and belief. You missed playing, you missed the crowds, you missed the adrenaline, all of that stuff. That lasts for a while, and then the adrenaline of the the postseason hopefully either in the mix or you're definitely gonna be a playoff team like that's most of the league that's coming out of the all-star break like you can see that and that gets you motivated yeah. every day. so yeah. it's this it's this time of the year man you're not counting on adrenaline from either direction and you just got to get through about a 20 game stretch during that yeah. chunk when it's 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 all the reasons i just said make it hard to find that motivation certainly easier when you're winning and you're on a winning team that definitely gives you a little bit more boost i remember michael malone last year talked about how going into the all-star break a lot of teams stop paying attention that they're at their absolute worst the week before the all-star break for that very reason it's the dog days everybody can see around the corner they have a vacation going and he says that with his message to the team is still wins right now nobody's paying attention just you can go in yeah. and beat anybody right now and I kind of think that's an interesting thought. All right, we got to move on though for the weekend. It is Friday, which means we have to ask one of our big questions we ask every single week. Who won the week? Emma, what do we have our graphic here, Emma? Where's it at? Who won the week? Fired it away. There it is. We got it. Who won the week? Um, Legs, you want to go first? I'll go second this time. I usually go first. I'll wait for you. 
Man, I hate to be repetitive in what I do, but I had two candidates today, and they are two candidates I've already gone to. But I'm going to – so I have Jokic, who just was put up an absurd stat line. If I told you a guy averaged 60 uh, – uh, shot these splits, 60% from the field, 50% from three, 90% from the foul line – You'd probably think, okay, that's a good game, but what you know, what what do the stats look like? Thirty six points, eleven rebounds, twelve assists. The guy was a monster this week. Um, butt legs, I didn't give it to him because I could give it to Jokic every week, and I don't want people to think I'm too much of a homer, even though I'm a little homer. I have to go to Franz <laughs> Wagner, our guy, two and zero on the week, and he had a thirty point game and a thirty one point game. And you want to talk about shooting? He shot 76% from the floor this week, Legs. 76%. I think he only missed six shots or seven shots or something like that. Two big-time performances. The Magic are rolling. So, Franz Wagner, you are my – you won the week. Yeah, man. And, look, it's 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 not going anywhere yet. Magic, get all yeah. their flowers. Give them all the flowers they deserve right now. Their whole roster, their team success, it's, it's been tremendous. I can't yeah. wait till they're there all year long because you, you – you, First you doubted them, then you predict their demise. I can't wait till we get to April and they're a three seed. Hey, listen, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. I know you're a, you're a pot stirrer. I love it. You're a pot stirrer. You're trying to get the Orlando Magic. You counted them out. You counted them out. You think I'm rooting against them. I am not rooting against them. I just have some questions. I just have some Uh-oh. questions about them, right? They're answering them. Listen, fair, answer fair, them. Very fair questions. All right, mine, I'm going to go with uh, – with a guy that I think uh, he's had a lot of weeks like this, but I thought this was an important week for their team and the way he played. I'm going with Jalen Brunson. And since oh, man, we since we played, since we uh, last did this last Friday, they played four games. They won three out of four. The only game they lost was a tough one to Phoenix. Um, they went three games. And they beat Miami, which was playing yeah. well. It was a good win against them. And then you beat Charlotte, Detroit, and you say, oh, look, you know, those aren't quality wins. Well, yeah, they are for the Knicks. They are Phoenix. <laughs> what we're seeing, look, just ask, ask the Bucks. Look at last night. We're seeing every night in this league, like on paper, teams losing yeah. games that they should not be losing. You've got to beat teams. If you're the Knicks and you're trying to grab that spot where that void is in the East, right, beyond the top three, and you want to be that next team, you've got to beat these teams, particularly Eastern Conference teams on your schedule that you're better than. And Brunson, man, this week in these four games – and he, oh, he only had 12 points against Charlotte, but he only took yeah, nine shots. Yeah. They blew him out. He took nine shots. He averaged in these four games 28 points a game on 58% shooting and 48% from the three-point line, including a 42-point game the other night against Detroit. And they really needed all of those in a close game. So I'm going to go with Jalen Brunson, man. The guy just continues to amaze me. Uh, and, and the Knicks, they, 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 I like their first one. They play hard every night. They're not they they're not a team typically you watch and feel you got cheated on effort. So when you play these teams, man, that are that are beneath you in the East, you've got to win these games. Um, if you want it to be taken seriously, and they did, it took care of business against three of those teams. I, we got some great nominations in the live chat right now. Um, you get the Portland Trailblazers getting two big wins this week. Actually, three if you go back all the way to last week. But you get the Indiana Pacers and the Cleveland Cavaliers and back to back. They've got a little win streak. A little two-game win streak, uh, if you'll call it that. Um, so that was impressive. And then my favorite, J.K. Walrus in the chat says, Jaime Jaquez. We didn't get to talk. We ran out of time because I wanted to make a mention of him. But this gives us a chance. Quickly becoming my favorite player. This guy is so good. He's so solid. He had 10 points in the first five minutes of the fourth quarter last night. It was the, I don't want to say the reason that the Miami Heat pulled out the win, but 
one of the big reasons. And what I love about Jaime Jaquez is that guy looks to me, if I had never seen him play, I'd be like, oh, okay, so this guy's been in the league, what, six, seven years now? You know, he's been, how many teams has he played on? He's been in the league for four weeks. This guy plays like a vet, man. I love his game. I love his poise. I love his toughness. Um, I'm a big Jaime Jaquez fan. I, I'm becoming more of a Jaime Jaquez fan every week. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, everybody that watch, is watching him play feels the same way. I can only imagine how good his interview must have been um, when they were looking at the draft because he he's, he plays right. so with such a level of maturity that doesn't really, you know, that, that defies logic really, that he's as mature and poised as he is, as comfortable as he is this early. Um, right. That probably came through in that interview and just the versatility of his game. And, and he went to a place – I've said repeatedly, you know, if you're a player coming into this league, man, and you can go somewhere and play for, I think is the best coach in the NBA. Eric Spolster is also a guy that he just totally values, man, what you do and does not yeah. focus on your weaknesses. And I just, that's so empowering to a player. Man, love that. Where you're not caught up in a coach that's looking for the things that you don't do well. And every time you do it, you're on this short leash and then you're coming out of games and it's just, no, forget that, man. That's my job to protect you from that. I, I'm, you're on the court because you do certain things. Go do them, and that's that's so empowering to a player. And I think Eric Spolster has a long track record of doing that with guys. I love that point. I love that point because I think that is a hard thing in life in any leadership position is to see people's what they're good at and not what they're bad at because you see both, and it's like you get you focus. So I love that point. Um, also about Jaime Jaquez, great look. I like when players come in and have a, a, a unique distinct style he has a he's the only guy in the nba that looks like him and, and i was I trying that. to recall I, I agree i was going to talk about that i was trying to recall there's a movie man there's a villain in it what's the movie I'm, i can't think of this i think you're thinking of the guy is it is it the guy fox mask it's um, there's a mask. he has a mask on right that what, yeah, what is that movie somebody, somebody help us the, out somebody in the chat help us out because i can't remember what it's called movie, remember remember, movie, remember yeah, look at us not remembering movies here. Classic. Um, all right, let's look at the weekend real quick, Legs. Tell me what stands out to you. Friday, Philly at Boston. I feel like, is this the third time already this year that those two yeah, teams man. are showing up? I, I got a gripe with the league. What are we doing? What are we doing? These are the Honestly, not only is it two of the top three teams in the East, it's probably – the best rivalry we have in the Eastern Conference. Mm, they yeah. kind of genuinely don't like each other very much, uh, as, as you know, by, by today's standards of not liking each other. Um, the, the crowds hate each other. You know, yeah. Boston, comes, <laughs> Boston comes to Philadelphia, there's nothing, there's no reaction you're going to get in Wells Fargo, like when the Celtics are there. Nobody, except maybe LeBron. That's about it. And so to get three of these out of the way, man, and we're like 20 games into the season, like spread them out a little bit better. But, yeah, that's obviously a big one. And, you know, Embiid sat out. Um, I'm assuming he's playing in this game on Friday night. So hopefully both teams are at full strength. Yeah. But you are right that this is games that you would love to see spaced out because I want I want to see them later. And knowing that they play for a third time now, you know that they only play one more time the rest of the year. So that's a bummer. Uh, v for Vendetta, by the way. Look at the chat coming yeah. through for us. V for Vendetta. There's our movie. Um, there is a bunch of other games on tonight, none that I thought were noteworthy. Um, Saturday, though, man, this is a full Saturday slate. I, the NBA, they gave us some duds throughout the week and then gave us a bunch on the weekend when we're off. I got to call somebody. Warriors. I mean, I mean, Hawkes, right there. There it is. Right there. He found him. There he is. I agree. 
Um, Warriors at Clippers again. These two teams just played. You want to keep? We're going to keep complaining like old men about the schedule here. We got Warriors Clippers uh, a couple nights ago. Warriors Clippers tonight uh, or Saturday. Pacers at Heat again. We just saw this one last night. We'll see it again. And then Hawks Bucks. I actually think Hawks Bucks will be a really interesting game. Are we going to get to the point where the schedule looks more like baseball, where there's, maybe they're playing these teams? You know, you don't play everybody in the league, but you play everybody in your conference like nine times, and you go there for a three-game road trip. I mean, I don't, I, I understand what the league's doing. I, I, again, everything kind of it falls in line with the same thing. It's, it's you know, a lot of cases. Sometimes these teams are playing the same team twice in the same city. I, yep. I guess it's the preserve and you know. Hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing, legs. We talked about this it's bubble wrapping the world to try to prevent the bad things that happen. This is like when we were having the conversation about um, end of game. Do we, can we, are we really that much better off than when a bad call every now and then happened? Like, no, sometimes fixing the problem just creates a new one. And that's kind of how I feel about these. You play a team twice in one series, you play them twice in a row and it's like, all right, but it makes it a little less fun. Makes it a little less interesting. You know, you know what we need to do maybe next week along these lines? I think we'll have to get this into one of the shows. I want to talk about what matchups in the league, whether it be team versus team or player versus player, are you most interested in watching personally? Because you could go – we went through the decades the other day. You could go decade by decade, and I could give you a long list of, of team matchups and player matchups I wanted to see. I'm curious to know what they are now for you. In terms of man, these two teams are playing. I got to see that, or these two players are playing against each other. So I think next week we'll talk about that because my point is with Boston and Philly. Like I look forward in the Eastern Conference to looking at Boston play Philly. I think more than any other matchup in the Eastern Conference, and now it's going to be the third one. It's going to be one more the rest yeah. of the year. You know, unless they meet in the playoffs. Right. Yep. Um, this is like my kids eating all of their their best candy the first day of Halloween, and then they're just stuck with all the bad ones the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the year. Uh, Thunder at Mavericks, I think, will be a good game. That that one's yeah. always fun. Nuggets at Kings, um, that's always a great matchup. You know, really good stylistic matchup. And then, of course, Michael Malone. I don't know if you know this, still doesn't wear purple because of being fired unceremoniously from the Kings. <laughs> He's never going to let go of that. Not, I did not know that. That's that's funny. Um, Rockets at Lakers, I think, will actually be a good one. Dylan Brooks got, you know, LeBron James gave Dylan Brooks the business last time. There's a little bit of a rivalry there, so we'll see that one. And then Sunday, there's only two games legs. Monday show is going to be an absolute banger because Sunday we get Celtics at Pacers. I'm going to call it right now. I'm going to say Celtics 165, Pacers 152. Uh, can't wait for that one. Pels at Kings. I love that matchup as well. I think that's a great one. So we have two great games on Sunday leading us into our Monday show. Can't wait, man. It's going to be a great weekend of games and look forward to getting over all of this on Monday. Everybody, thanks so much for tuning in all week long. We appreciate all of our – we have a lot of people that tune in every single week. Grace J, I see you in the chat every single day. We appreciate Uncle Simon, Rube. You know, we got a handful of people that are making this show part of their daily routine, and we appreciate that. Whether you're watching live or listening in your car, on your phone, or whatever, we appreciate you. Do us a favor, help us grow the show by leaving us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and share it. If you see somebody over the weekend that likes basketball, say, hey, you checking out Legler and Mades, All-NBA Show? It's a good one. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hit that like button on the way out. Like the mayor.